Uh, it's such a pleasure to be here today. I am always honored when I get asked to share with you because I feel like there's so much more that I have to learn. I feel very unqualified to be up here, um, and yet I get honored every once in a, a while, and I just really, really appreciate it. appreciate my dad sharing his pulpit and you all indulging me in this. Um, the reason I'm here today is, as Dad said, he's speaking tonight at Anchor, and so preaching to, twice in a day is a little taxing, and so he thought maybe I could share, because about two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to share um, at a conference in Delhi, a women's conference specifically, and they had invited me to come and share. They invited Anita to come and lead worship. And we had a beautiful day in the Lord and fellowshipping with women from uh, the Delhi Community Church. And my mom and my Aunt Jeannie and some of the rest of you came out to support me. And mom came home and said to dad, oh, what Amy shared was great. Because, you know, my mom's not biased at all. Uh, and she, she thought maybe you would all benefit a little bit from some of the things that I shared. Uh, so I am going to be uh, sharing a little bit of what I prepared for them. But I have to tell you, if you did hear me that day, it's not that God's given me a little bit of an additional revelation since then. And also, this is kind of, for me, been a two-year process and this is kind of the culmination of two years of God revealing some things to me. And so, you know, if for no one else, this is for me. And if you get something from the Lord out of this, you know, God said his, return to, his word does not return to him void. And so the word of the Lord for you will not return to him void. And I pray that you get some blessing out of what the Lord has revealed to me the last couple of years. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, um, I grew up in this church with my dad as the pastor that carries a certain, I don't know, weight with it, I suppose. A certain responsibility, maybe. Uh, if you haven't seen me much around here, I've had the opportunity to uh, work at the Christian school um, for the last about 20 years. I've had the opportunity to lead the dance team for more than 20 years. I lead the women's ministry. I'm saying this because... There have been moments in my life where I certainly feel like a big fish, albeit in a very small pond. <laughs> and I have had this unknowingly kind of build up in me this idea in my heart that somehow I am a little bit important. <laughs> and over the last couple of years, that notion has kind of come crashing down at my feet. And the Lord has revealed to me, Amy, you're not really as good as you think you are. And this sermon kind of comes out of that revelation. So I hope you're blessed because, you know, we all need to hear that we're not as good as we think we are, right? Um, about two years ago, I had the opportunity to start a blog. I have, it's, it's been amazingly successful. I have maybe five or six readers. And I think four or five of you are probably in this room right now, and most of you are probably related to me. So, you know, it's super successful. But I did, I started the blog out of um, obedience to the Lord. I really felt like he was asking me just to, to lay this down at, him, at his feet, just kind of share some of the things that I've um, experienced and, and grown through and um, learned 
And so it's just, it's, it's short. It's, you know, really nothing mind blowing, I am telling you. But it's just kind of my reflections on who the Lord is and what He's taught me. And in, in researching, okay, what am I going to, you know, prepare this blog on? I believe the Lord led me to, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. These three, the greatest of these is love. And so, <clears throat> I started the blog kind of under the premise of faith, hope, and love, and I wanted a, um, I wanted to have some really catchy phrase that people would look at and go, oh, that's different. I wonder what she's talking about. So I looked for some adjectives that kind of would uh, talk about faith, hope, and love in a way that got people thinking, thought-provoking, compelling, right? So um, the Lord led me to selfless faith in a song that we sing in, in worship talking about having selfless faith. And I thought, well, that's compelling. And then um, for, for hope, uh, he led me to another song. I heard um, lyrics in a song where it talked about defiant hope. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. But I was kind of stuck on love and going, okay, what is a compelling word, a thought-provoking word that kind of takes me in a specific direction for love? And I was chatting with um, a blog coach that I had hired to help me out with this. And we were talking about love and unconditional love is kind of where I wanted to go. But, you know, unconditional love, I felt like people would look at it and kind of just gloss over it and be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. And uh, she was looking up in a thesaurus. Yes, I paid her to look up things for me in a thesaurus. And she found a synonym for unconditional and she said, unqualified. And I went, unqualified? That's not, that's not the same thing. What is she? Unqualified means not fit. It means not qualified. And it means uh, lacking. Okay, so that might describe my love for him. But I'm not really going to focus in this blog on my love for him, which is unqualified and not fit and lacking. I want to focus on his love for me. But you know, there's an alternate definition for the word unqualified. And that is not modified, not limited, not restricted in any way, without reservations, absolute and complete. Now that describes his love for me. Right? He not No restrictions, no modifications. There's nothing that I can do that he would limit his love for me because of. Thank the Lord. And so I kind of started thinking about this unqualified, unqualified love. And I, I started writing in the blog a couple of years ago about unqualified love. His unqualified love for me, but also my unqualified love for him. His unqualified love that is not limited to me, my unqualified love for him, which is very limited, which is very lacking. And kind of the, the two thoughts together, marrying together, is where the Lord has been taking me. About a year ago, I did preach a sermon on unqualified love at Anchor. And so I'm not going to repeat that sermon today. Uh, but that was kind of the start a year ago of this kind of downward trajectory of my life going, oh, I don't really relate. Like, if I'm being really honest, a year ago, I really did think I was qualified. Like, I would talk about my lack of qualifications, but I really did think in the, you know, in the back of my mind that I had a lot to offer. I was pretty hot stuff. 
And it was been this last year where I've, it's, God has taken me through a lot of transitions in, in my family, in the church, in my job. And he's kind of taken me to this point where, Amy, you're not as hot as you think you are. And when, when I was asked to speak at this conference um, a couple of weeks ago, they asked me a couple of months ago. And at that moment, at that time in my life, I was extremely, I, I, was, I, I said I was having an identity crisis a little bit because I was just like, what do I have to offer? I've got nothing. The fact that I said yes to them was kind of selfish because I just wanted the opportunity to share. But when, they, when push came to shove, I was going, what? I have nothing to offer them. And they sat down, and no joke, <clears throat> I sat down in a meeting with the people who were organizing the conference, and they said to me, Okay, Amy, we want you to talk about, the name of the conference is Beloved, and we want you to talk about our identity in Christ. <laughs> and I was like, seriously, I'm having an identity crisis right now myself. Like, I don't even know who I am in Christ. You want me to talk about this, the ladies? But I, you know, you do the, I do the PK thing. We're really good at that. Put a smile on and be like, oh yeah, I got this, no problem. And I didn't share with them, um, and I shared a little more at the conference that God really met me at that moment, in that exact moment with two friends who showed up at that moment to talk me through kind of what I was going through in that time. But it was, it's so interesting when you're there and you're vulnerable before the Lord, how he meets you, how he's faithful to you, how his unqualified love just grabs you and says, I got gotcha. you. And in that moment, in those times, for over the next, the course of the next six or eight weeks, he just would reveal himself to me in this situation over and over. And that's where this sermon kind of comes from. I was about a month ago, well, no, I guess it was six weeks ago, right after they had asked me to share, I was at a conference with um, some, of the, some of you were there, some of the ladies from this church. And a woman named Becky Harling was sharing. And I was sitting next to my sister-in-law, Karen, who knew kind of where my thought process was, what was going on in my life. And um, this woman, Becky Harling, said, um, God will never call you to do anything that you can do on your own without him. And Karen went and kind of like nudged me. And I was like, it was like, I'd been punched in the face. To be honest with you, in that moment, I wasn't even totally paying attention to what she was saying. I was just kind of in my own thoughts and wrapped up in what was going on. And Karen, like, nudged me back. And I was like, God will never call you to do anything you can do without him. And in that moment, I was going, I was struggling with being asked to do things that I didn't feel qualified to do, not being, not having my gifts being used, not having my gifts being taken advantage of, and instead I was being asked to do things that I did not feel like I could or wanted to do. Let's be real, I just didn't want to do it. And, and I went, okay, God, I get it. I'm going to give this to you. He's, you're not calling me to do something I can do without you. So if they're, if they're asking me to do what I don't feel I can do, I'm just going to have to trust you to do it through me. Fast forward literally two weeks, and I was listening to a sermon by a woman named Beth Moore. You may have heard of her. Um, she's a phenomenal preacher. And she said, God will never call you to do anything that he has not qualified for you in advance to do. And I was like, I was getting ready in the morning. I was standing in front of the mirror, and I stopped, and I looked at my reflection in the mirror, and I'm like, wait a minute. 
I'm, I'm, I'm operating for these last couple of weeks under God has not called me to do anything I can do without him. And now she's telling me God has not called me to do anything that he has not qualified me in advance to do. Well, which is it? Which is it? Yes. It's both. Fast forward another couple of days, and I was listening to a sermon by a man named um, Abraham Perez. He is a pastor in Mexico. And he was preaching, and he said, he was preaching about Moses and talking about that moment when Moses receives the call of God, right? And he's standing before the burning bush, and Moses says, and God says to Moses, I've called you to uh, go back to Egypt. You're going to save my people who are enslaved to the Egyptians. You're going to bring them out, and you're going to take them to my promised land. And what is Moses' response to that call? Who am I? Who am I? I can't do that. Now, let's think about this for a second. This is what Abraham said. He said, Moses had been raised in both the Hebrew culture and the Egyptian culture, right? He had been raised by, for the first years of his life by his birth mother, who would have taught him the Hebrew language, who would have taught him the Hebrew culture. He knew the people. He knew he had family in that culture. And then for the latter part of his life, he had been raised in Egypt in, in, by Pharaoh's daughter. He would have learned the language. He would have known the people. He would have known the culture. He would have had family there. There is literally no one else on the planet at that time when God calls Moses, who is more qualified than Moses for that job. Right? He is the one. No, please say right. Yeah. He is the one who can do it. And yet his answer is, who am I? Is it false humility? I don't think so. Is it an identity crisis? I don't know, maybe. But I think Moses is literally looking at the task and going, I don't care how many qualifications I have. I can't do that. Now, if I am, you know, let's say that Moses is one of my students and, you know, we're having a little conversation and Moses says, you know, God's called me to do this. I just don't really think that I, I don't think I can. Who am I to do that? I, knowing myself... I have the gift of encouragement. I would probably say to Moses, are you kidding? You got this, Moses. You can do it. God's prepared you. He's called you. He's enabled you. He's gifted you for this job at this time. You got this, Moses. Let's have a party and rah-rah pep rally to get you on board with what God has called you to do. Right? Is that God's response to Moses? Does God say all that to Moses? You know, Moses, look at the last... You know, look at look over the, the course of your entire life. See how I've prepared you for this moment? Is that what God does? No. What does God say to him? Certainly, I will go with you. He doesn't say squat about what Moses can do. He says, I will go with you. Because the truth is, it does not matter how qualified any of us are for the job God has called us to do. If we do it on our own, it will not happen. It will not happen. And so, yes, 
God will not call you to do anything that he has not qualified and gifted you for. And yes, God will not call you to do anything that you can do on your own without him. It's both. So this idea of unqualified love is where I'm kind of going to take off in our text for today. Um, We're going to look at 1 John 4. 1 John 4, starting with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he had loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Lord, we are so, so grateful for your word. And we are so grateful for your love. You are love, and your perfect love casts out fear. Your perfect love is being perfected in us. Lord, we lay down any qualifications that we may have at your feet. And Lord, we lay down the fact that we are not qualified to serve you at your feet. And Lord, we choose to take up your love, to love one another, and to love you. And we praise you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, it's funny that the board is there. If I had realized that the board was going to be there, because in my mind I was going to be like, you know, I'm a teacher, right? So you've got to use a whiteboard. So it's like, how many times did we read in those verses? And y'all have read those verses before. God loved us. Like, so put a big us at the top, or big God at the top, right? And then an arrow going down. God loved us. So put the us there, right? And then what do we do? We love him. So draw the arrow going back up. And then what's our next response? We love others. Draw the arrow going down. I mean, this is what dad's going to preach about tonight, right? Jesus gives the commandment in in Matthew 22. 
What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we're, I mean, he says it over and over. It says it in the Old Testament over and over. This is our job. He loves us, so we love him, and then we can love others. Now, I'm going to contend to you that the church and our culture has done a really good job in the last few years of convincing us that we are loved. All right? Now, and I'm, that's not a bad thing. The fact that God loves us is the message for the world. Like, go, go to a football game. John 3.16, God so loved the world, right? My dad starts every prayer. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Our worship service today was all about the love of God. You're, I'm amazed by you, how you love me. How wide, how deep is the love of Christ? Now, the world has adopted this, and if you look in the world, you are going to see a whole lot of, you know, pep rally talk out there. You're special. God, or maybe not say God, you are loved. You're perfect the way you are. You're, you're special the way you are. You, right? I mean, you see it on pillows. You see it on posters. You know, Saturday Night Live. Wasn't it Saturday Night Live when the guy would give himself a pep talk? You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? And he would, like, look in the mirror and be like, you're special and you're smart. Because he's given himself a little pep talk. We've been really good at the pep talk in this culture today. In fact... We're so good at it that studies have shown we are the most narcissistic generation that has ever been in the history of the world. Yay! Put a little trophy on our wall, right? I mean, participation trophy. <laughs> it's not even a trophy we earned. We're just participating in this culture. It's, it's true. I mean, go back. I heard Francis Chan say, go back 50 years and tell people from 50 years ago that it, in, the, in 50 years in the future, everybody will have kind of their own newspaper where they can put up pictures of themselves and post their opinions about things, be it political or social or just what they ate for breakfast, and watch as, you know, they expect everybody not only to look at their newspaper, but also to like things on their newspaper. Like, we have bred a generation of social media pe uh, personas, right? And we all put out there these wonderful things about us. And we expect other people to think that we're wonderful. We have literally, you know, like you see it in parents with their children. I see it as a teacher over the years that you've got, you know, it's okay, Johnny, you're, you're wonderful. You're doing a good job. Yes, keep it up. And I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm not. I'm just saying that it's a little one-sided. We have gone from, you know, let's show the world how much God loves them to... I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm special, I'm wonderful. And I'm telling you, this is where I've been for the last year or so. 90, they, uh, Pew did a, res, uh, a study, I heard about this a couple of days ago, asking Christians, what percentage of Christians, people who claim, Protestant Christians who claim that they believe the God of the Bible, um, how many of you believe that that God is all-loving? 
Anybody want to venture a guess to how many Protestant, Bible-believing Christians believe that God is all-loving? Close. 93%. 93% of Bible-believing Christians believe that God is all-loving. We agree with that, right? Would we 100% in this room? Absolutely. The same group was polled, and they were asked, how, what percentage of you believe that God is all-knowing? That percentage went down to 87%. What percentage of you believe that God is all-powerful? 78%. Why? Why? I've been kind of reflecting on this for the last couple of days since I heard this research. I think I have an idea. You may disagree with me. I think that it's because we are so wrapped up in ourselves, in the fact that God loves me. So if I have a little aches and pains, or if I have a grave illness, if I have a little credit card debt, or I have, you know, I'm the brink of bankruptcy, if I have a little squabble with my family or an all-out family feud, well, this can't be happening if God is all-powerful, because if God was all-powerful, he loves me. He'd just take care of it for me. He'd just step in and do what was necessary to heal me, to provide for me, to take care of the problem. Well, the truth is, we're looking at the wrong thing. We're looking at ourselves. We're looking at our situation. We think we know what we need. We certainly know what we want. And we are equating that with the love of God. I contest to you, and I'm not being judgmental here, because I am pointing the fingers at myself first. I'll, I'll just talk about myself. There have been moments throughout my life when I was very self-focused. I could probably say there are moments in my day, every day, when I am very self-focused. But we'll go with periods of my life where I am very focused on myself, where I am very focused on what I need, what I want, what's best for me. And those periods of my life have been the single most miserable of my life. That is when I am the saddest. That is when I am depressed. That is when I have no hope. Why? Because I'm thinking about myself. And I am not called, according to 1 John 4, to think about myself. Right? Let's, let's remember. Was there any verse in, in 1 John 4, 7 through 21, that said, Thou shalt love thyself. Thou shalt take care of thy needs. Thou shalt, you know, make thyself happy. Is that anywhere in there? Is that anywhere in Scripture? Is that even implied in Scripture? Is it a proverb, a truism? You know, do we see it just as some sort of, you know, example anywhere? No. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, love yourself. Now, Jesus did say, love your neighbor as yourself. You know why? Because loving ourselves is a given. We will love ourselves. He knew that. Right? He knows we're going to. And so he encourages us to love our neighbor as ourself. Because it will happen. But he doesn't tell us to do it. Why? Because he knows what's best for us. 
We, when we focus on ourselves, we will be sad. We will be lonely. We will be depressed. I had somebody come to me recently lamenting about a family member. I don't know what to do. They're, they're in such throes of depression. They can't get out of them. I said, it's because they don't do anything for anyone. Send them out. Have them go to the Lord's table. Have them go to the homeless shelter. Have them come and serve in the nursery of the church. Do something for someone else. If you are sad, if you are depressed, we sang this morning, Be Thou My Vision. What is your vision? Is your vision yourself? If you are anything like me, I'm just going to talk about myself right now. Me, if my vision is myself, that's going to lead me into the depths of depression. I want to look at um, talking about qualifications. This kind of came from what I shared um, at the conference. Uh, when we look, when, 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 okay, so when Israel is going, you know, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. They were concerned about appearances, right? The Lord knew they were concerned about appearances, and so he, you know, answered them with their concerns. And he said, okay, I will give you a king. And he brought to them Saul, the son of Kish. So we're going to look at First Samuel 9, 1 and 2. There was a man of Benjamin, that was the tribe that he was from, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So this is what the Lord, Lord knows what they want, so he gives it to him. Good family, traces his family back several generations. They got a lot of money. They're, he's very handsome. He's tall, head and shoulders above the rest, literally. Right? So this is, ev- this is who everybody wants. Now, if you've read First Samuel, you know it doesn't turn out so well. Saul had all of the qualifications that we as people look to. Every one of them. Handsome, tall, he was charismatic, the Spirit of the Lord came on him, he, he prophesied, he was doing great things. But when he rejected the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord left him, and how, how did it work out at that point? Not so great. Because he may have had the qualifications and the giftings, but he did not have the Lord with him. And the Lord took the kingdom away from him, and gave it to David, right? So let's look at 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 and 7. This is when Samuel has gone to the house of Jesse. He's been told that he's going to find the next king there. He goes through Jesse's seven sons, who are incidentally also wonderful and tall and handsome. And he doesn't find what he's looking for. When they came... Samuel, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me, before him. Now this is, Eliab is the the son of Jesse that he meets first, right? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, David had all the qualifications that the Lord had gifted him with, 
But in, in um, Acts 13, we read he also had a man after God's own heart. He also had the Lord with him. Take the qualifications, the giftings. My dad's been preaching about quali- he's been preaching about your spiritual giftings for a couple of months now. Hopefully, you've gotten the fact that you have spiritual gifts that the Lord has uniquely given to each and every one of you. He's he's taken those gifts. He's mixed in your personality. He's mixed in your experience, and he's made something very unique in each one of you that only you has to offer the rest of us. Take those gifts. Go with the Lord. Surely he will go with you. And then you've got a man after God's own heart in David. How beautiful is that? Don't we all want to be David? I want to be David. Now, there's a third person in this story. And that's Jonathan, Saul's son. Now, presumably, Jonathan, being the fact that he was in that same lineage we just read about in 1 Samuel 9... You know, he had the same family, he had the same wealth, he had this, probably some of the same stature. I imagine he looked like his dad. In addition, he was the king's son. So when one king goes, who takes over? The son. So he had one more qualification than David had. And he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. We know this. He served the Lord. The Lord was with him. And I look at this sometimes and I go, God, what about Jonathan? Mm -hmm. You forgot him. You forgot him. But you know what? That wasn't the plan that God had. But Jonathan had his own plan, didn't he? Right? We all know that Jonathan stamped his feet and he said, no, that's mine. I want that role. I want to be the next king. No. That is not what Jonathan did. Jonathan did what? Well, we'll read about it. Let's read in 1 Samuel 23, 16 through 18. Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. Strengthened his hand. He encouraged him. He told him he was supporting him. I love you. I'm with you. And he said to him, Do not fear... For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. I'm going to cry. Saul, my father, knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. How beautiful is this? Jonathan, who was qualified to be the next king. Jonathan, who had God with him. He lays it down. He lays it down at David's feet, and he says... It's yours. I don't need it. I don't need to be the next king. It's okay. God's chosen you. You know, you may have listened to the beautiful blessing that Chris received this morning. And Chris was very generous. And I think he was correct in saying that that message was for all of us as much as it was for him. But we could have looked at that and been like, what about me, God? Where's my blessing? You know, I'm out here trying to do it too. I'm trying to serve you too. No. We lay it down at the feet of our king. And we say, God has chosen whom he's chosen. Who does this remind you of? Who does Jonathan remind you of? Jesus. Jesus. 
In Philippians, <coughs> excuse me, in Philippians 2, verse 5, <clears throat> Paul says to the Philippians, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, we're familiar with this verse, aren't we? You know, that Jesus, he took who he was. He took his godhood and he laid it down at the feet of God. He took on the form of a man and he came and he served us and he was obedient. We know this, right? But do we look back at the first verse when it says, you need to have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. We need to do the same thing. We need to take our rights, what we've earned, our qualifications, who we think we are, lay it down at the feet of our king and say, whatever you have for me, God, is what I want. I have, um, well, maybe it's a pet peeve. I don't know. I have been frustrated in recent years with, I'll just say it. I can say it because I'm not the pastor. My dad could probably never say this. I've been frustrated with the decline of attendance at church. I'm just going to be real with you. I have this like, what, you don't have two hours for God? Come on, people. Like, that's my flesh, you know? And I sit there and I go, oh, you know, like, if we had every member of Community Gospel come on a Sunday morning, we wouldn't have enough seats. And goodness gracious, we shouldn't have enough seats. Like, that should be a problem. Because, yeah, so, rant over. I was just, I should put that on Facebook, right? Like, I should, couldn't rant. Okay. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. I'm preaching to the choir, aren't I? You're all here. Okay, good. So I haven't offended anyone. Thank you. Um, but I have in the past, in an effort to encourage attendance at church, because, you know, I can have that kind of clout, I have I've told people, hey, come to church. We need you. You know, you have unique gifts, you have unique talents, you have an experience, and and mixed with your personality and who God has created you to be, we need that in our church. So please come. Right? That's a great message, isn't it? (laughs) It's it's really responded to well, too. I mean, you know, like, people hear that and they go, yes, I have to go to church because they need me there. Not so much. But in, in kind of this transition that I'm going through in my own heart, I first have had a moment of like, you know when Mordecai says to Esther, Mordecai has asked Esther to save the, the Jewish people from King Ahasuerus, who's going to kill them all. And she's like, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this. And, God sa- and Mordecai says to her, listen, you can do this. And, and I, that's like the extent of his little pep rally for her. You got this. And he says, besides, if you don't do it, God's going to do it anyway. But I'll tell you what, he probably put you here at this time and place for you to be the one to do it. And if you don't do it, you 
and me and the rest of our house, we're going down. We are not going to make it out of this alive. Because if he's called you to do it, you'd better do it. And so I've kind of taken that thought and gone, okay, we don't need, nobody here needs me. Y'all don't need me. If I don't show up next week, you will go on living. You will go on worshiping in this church. Things will be okay. In fact, I do have that as an encouragement. That's another thing that they've done studies recently. This is a little digression here. Studies show recently that people are looking to church and going, this is a, they've put it all on the person, the dynamic leader of the church, the dynamic pastor or preacher or minister who's meeting the needs of all the people. Y'all, if you are coming to church to have your needs met by a person, we have a problem. We have a problem, but you have a bigger problem because there is not a person except the man, Jesus Christ, who can meet your needs. There is not a person who is supposed to meet your needs except Jesus Christ. And if you are looking to me or my dad or Ryan or the elders or Dennis or anybody to meet your needs, you need to go home and examine your heart before the Lord because we can't do it. Now, we will try. I promise you we'll try. You're welcome. But we won't do it. We will fail because we are human. But he will never fail you. And this takes me to the conclusion I've reached about our role as members of this church, as members of the body of Christ. It is not about you and your giftings and your talents and your blessing us. You do not come to church with that in mind. You come to church in mind with, I love the Lord. I worship him. I get the opportunity to show him how much I love him, to to thank him, to say, Lord, I'm amazed by your love for me. And I walk into church and I get on my face before the Lord and I spend two hours because two hours is bare minimum that I should spend at the feet of my Lord, laying down who I am, laying down my own gifts and qualifications, laying down my rights. And taking up what he's offered me. And then my next step is still not to require anything from that congregation. My next step is to love the people sitting next to me. To love you. To love you. Not to get anything for myself. I get so annoyed by people who say, well, I don't go to church because I don't get anything out of it. Yeah, okay. You're not supposed to. Okay, yeah, maybe you are. But if you walk into church with the attitude that I am walking into that room because I'm going to exalt the Lord and I'm going to serve his people, then you're not even thinking about what you're going to get. You're thinking about what you're going to give. And this is where our mindset needs to be. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I didn't start with the couple verses before, but they say in Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And if we walked Around as the actual body of Christ, laying down our qualifications. Yes, acknowledging that he loves us. Yes, acknowledging that he's called us. Yes, 
acknowledging that he has uniquely gifted and anointed us, but that purpose is not for our own glory. What does it say in that song, Be Thou My Vision? He says, riches I do not need, I don't seek riches, nor man's empty praise. Thou, my inheritance now and always. If we are seeking him and not seeking after ourselves, that is the love of God manifested in our lives. That is the unqualified love of God manifested in our lives for each other. And that is where I want to be as a minister of this church, as a sister in Christ, as a teacher, as a wife, as a mother. That's where I want to be. And I invite you all to join me in this journey and be unqualified with me and accept his unqualified love. Amen? Amen.